0: and we are live it's that time again hello everybody happy friday thank you for tuning in to another episode of rory solder and the news i'm rory Soder, your host it is great to be back with all of you big show today a lot to address a lot to establish many great guests in attendance Guys, the weekend is finally here. I hope you had a fantastic week. First show of 2024, breath of fresh air. We're going to have a big, big year on Rory Sautter in the news and on both networks, sensorless TV, Next Gen USA. A lot, lot planned. I want to introduce my first guest who's with us right now. He's had a hell of a career, a hell of a life. Uh, I'm glad he's joining us for the first time. We have Daniel Bowles with us. Daniel, welcome rory and audience glad to be here happy friday thank you man you too man so your first time on give us a little bio
1: give us a little background how it all started for you all that fun stuff well thanks glad to so yeah uh, i'm a michigan native marquette michigan up on lake superior the third generation army veteran and uh, i think my uh, venture into uh, patriotic issues started when i was in Germany. I, uh, I wrote an essay for the Freedoms Foundation at Valley Forge, and uh, that started, I think that started me uh, thinking about uh, patriotic issues. That was at a time in our country when uh, Nixon stepped down and Gerald Ford was uh, at the helm. Anyway, um, I've been involved in uh, this particular Statue of Enduring Freedom Project now since uh, 2017. Um, Our website, freedomalliancellc.com, was activated a few months ago. Um, We're now in the process of having it promoted, as it were. And my book, can I show you my book? America's Freedom Megaphone. Been writing this, uh, drafting for a couple years. Uh, We were thrilled to find uh, a publisher, Post Heal Press. Just printed it a few months ago and... uh, And my job now is to promote it. And the purpose of my book is simply to introduce, to make a case for the building of the statue of enduring freedom on the West Coast of America to act as a bookend as it were to uh, the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast. And in between all of that, Corey, if you wanted me to fill in, um, let's see, I'm uh, I'm I'm a husband of over 40 years, my wife Ingrid, is definitely my better half. I definitely married up as most of us guys do. Uh, we are, let's see, parents of four daughters and a growing number of uh, grandchildren all over the country. My wife's originally from Eastern Canada. And uh, let's see, oh, an interesting thing that you and your listeners would like to know about Ingrid Ingrid is a naturalized citizen. Her parents uh, immigrated. Uh, to Canada during uh, World War II and escaped the hell that was uh, known as the USSR as they were controlling and uh, putting the thumb on uh, the Baltic countries. And her folks came from Estonia, which is one of the three uh, Baltic countries there on the uh, Baltic Sea across from Finland. Anyway, Ingrid's wonderful. I love her and I'm still not sure why she loves me, but uh, you know, I'm not going to dig down too deep on that one. So I don't know if that's the inter- intro you wanted, Corey or Rory, but uh, that's me.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so tell us about this book, this new book. How how did this all come about? What was the process like writing it? How long did it take you? What kind of research did you do? All that fun jazz.
1: Yeah, uh, certainly glad to address that. I actually started putting... Uh, pencil to paper two winters ago, Uh, we had the opportunity to spend that winter in Florida in the Pensacola area. And that's when I actually started writing the book. Mm -hmm. The ideas for the book, as I mentioned, um, started decades ago in my life. I have a graduate degree, no, bachelor's degree in political science. And uh, so I've been thinking about, and I always think about historic issues regarding our country and, and its foundation. Formulation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh, yeah, started writing the book a couple years ago, and the purpose of the, the research that I've done—well, you know, it's uh, essentially a lifetime of research is what it amounts to. I've drawn from I've drawn from current publishers, uh, printers, and writers, as it were. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza—I quote him in my book—and all the others like Dinesh, uh, Sebastian. Sebastian Gorka and good old uh, Newt Gingrich and that whole group of uh, patriotic conservatives. I'm very familiar with them, what they have written. I've read most of their books. Um, So anyway, research is quite extensive Uh, and all those footnotes are listed in the book. I'm not into plagiarism like, uh, you know, other uh, university professors, apparently, uh, and college presidents are of late. I don't get into plagiarism. Um, Drafted the book, as I said, two winters ago in Florida. And the purpose of the book, and again, may I? (laughs) The purpose of the book, America's Freedom Megaphone, is uh, that we would derive the title from one of uh, Dinesh D'Souza's books. And at the end of that book, uh, Dinesh basically gave Americans a challenge and he said, each of us, we do not recognize how much power and authority we do have as individuals. And he challenged all of us to pick up our own personal megaphone and do something about it. And in honor of that challenge from Dinesh D'Souza, that's how we got the title America's Freedom Megaphone. purpose of the book, uh, Rory, is uh, to introduce number one, the uh, proposed statue of enduring freedom, I've done my best to make a strong case for why we should be building this monument today, and what is the purpose of the monument. And I can get into that later if you wish.
0: So, what is it like working with Dinesh D'Souza? I can I can imagine that's pretty cool. It's pretty fun. He's had a, quite the background, quite the quite the career.
1: Dinesh is one of my heroes. I'll just say it that way. Yeah. Uh, regard, uh, heroes meaning uh, immigrants from the United States yeah. who really have their act together. And let's face it, guys like Dinesh and guys like Sebastian Gorka, they, um, they understand the mission of America more than some of us Americans do, who have lived here for three or four or five generations. I just love these guys and what they promote, what they do, and the challenge they give us because they they have come from different countries and created a successful you know footprint here whatever businesses they've chosen to get into. And uh, I, I love uh, I love highlighting them, and that's why I've referenced Dinesh and his books in my uh, in my book. So uh, hats well, off to Dinesh and all the others immigrants. Yeah, he's always
0: making movies that really shine light on things that uh, we're facing, you know. The, well,
1: in the way he started, you know, when you say shine light, another term is speaking uh, truth to power, right? Which is yeah. what our mainstream media, they're supposed to learn when they go to a journalism school, Right. speaking truth to power. And of course, we know they're not doing that now, but Dinesh does. His first book and and, and DVD film uh, was talking about uh, Obama and the, uh, well, his viewpoint of Obama. And as a result of that, Dinesh ended up spending some time in prison. Obama didn't like what he was saying and boom, they clamped down on him and off he went.
0: Wow, that fact I did not know. I did not know
1: that he went to prison. That That's news to me prison, jail, whatever. He was, behind, he was behind bars. He got fined the whole nine yards. I don't remember how many months he was in, but uh, that's my understanding and the reading, the research I've done, that's what happened. So Dinesh is a uh, fearless, a fearless patriot. And uh, unfortunately, uh, he uh, he paid a price for that and was willing to But now look what he's done. He's written so many books and all the DVDs and the movies. Some of them have made it, you know, to the to the screen, as it were. And uh, he's a great patriot. It's all there is to it. What do
0: you make of the current um, political climate? What what we're facing right now as a nation, just with all the madness going on, all the craziness, all the chaos. um, It never ends. I mean, I feel like it's more dangerous. And insane than it's ever been. I don't. I don't think I've ever been more unsure, more concerned. But at the same time, I do have optimism in certain areas, but other areas, not so much.
1: Good descriptors there, Rory. Yes, uh, tumultuous times that we uh, find ourselves in. Yeah, I've addressed that specifically in Chapter Four. I think it is in my book. Right. For those of who those who like to read it, pick it up at Amazon. By the way, my book's available on Amazon. You can go to our website and get it there if you want. But to answer your question, what do I think of all? Think of it all. Yeah. I coin a phrase or reuse a phrase that perhaps others have used, and that is big. The big government coalition, and I didn't identify who I believe are members of the big government coalition. And essentially, they are individuals, they are corporations, they are media representations and organizations, they're educational uh, individuals and and establishments, and they are the folks that are hell-bent on replacing uh, Abraham Lincoln's (laughs) phrase in the Gettysburg Address when he said, and our nation shall, do you know that that, uh, quote that I'm getting at, Rory, our nation shall continue to uh, have a rebirth of freedom uh, of the people, by the people, and for the people, right? Wonderful phrase. The big government coalition, in my opinion, and many millions of others, they want to change that phrase to read of the government, by the government, and for the government. They want to change that. And they are implementing policies and programs that are creating all of this, uh, chaos that you, that you mentioned so aptly. What, um, what do we do in regards to
0: our freedoms being at risk? Um, I've never seen government abuse power like they're doing now. Uh, it's a,
1: it's at the worst level. Well, and, and that's, That's a heartfelt question. That's a question that millions of American citizens are asking today and have been for several years. Right. My answer to that is we build the Statue of Enduring Freedom. The Statue of Enduring Freedom will become a positive footprint on America. It will become a symbol, a uniting symbol of individual freedom that we as patriots, are right now expressing our frustration that our our individual freedoms are being stepped on and being usurped by the big government coalition, those of us who want to rally around the building of the Statue of Enduring Freedom will be able to be involved in a positive movement, as it were, through this symbol. And the key, if I can get into the mission of of the monument, let me just say it this way. Historically, monuments are built to honor a past event or a past individual, and that's fine. The Statue of Enduring Freedom is being built, will be built, to have a future-focused mission. And that future-focused mission is the heart of why we are building the monument. And to answer your question, what do we do about the chaos that we're in? And that drills down to our educational outreach program. We believe, and millions of others believe, that starting back in the 60s, um, the big government coalition, through one of their tentacles, um, education, through the Department of Education, started to mess up government education regarding the teaching of history, regarding the teaching of civics, and regarding teaching true historical facts about the founding of America. And right. that is the mission, the future focused mission of the Statue of Enduring Freedom. It's all about education. Our current and future generations, they will be able to they will be able to learn what they haven't learned to this point in our government schools
0: speaking of government schools and the education system what do you make of how radical it's become <laughs> um, i mean we are seeing teachers enable transgenderism uh, telling kids they can be all these different things however they want to identify you know encouraging sex changes um, you have all these teachers bringing their personal business into the classroom. And, you know, when I was a kid, for the most part, I mean, there, there were those rare cases, but for the most part, teachers stuck to the curriculum and they left their personal garbage at home. You know what I mean? That That's for home, that's for outside of the classroom.
1: Your thoughts? Well, yes, and you're exactly right on that. Yeah. I address the issue of CRT and uh, all of the other issues that have morphed into our educational government schools at this point, and that our students are being basically indoctrinated with at this point in time. And there are ways to change that. There are ways uh, politically to change it. There are steps that can be taken, and that is for politicians and others to incorporate those steps but the joining together, rallying together to build the statue of enduring freedom is a way that all of us common citizens as it were can make a statement that we're fed up with everything that's happening right now, the abuse and everything that's that's thrown, being thrown at our children now, we're rallying around by building the statue saying indirectly through again america's megaphone for freedom that uh, things are going to change things are going to change
0: how do we get government out of schools and how do we abolish finally the department of education it's always talked about you know they conservatives say they'll do it never gets done And I'm just tired of hearing it. I want action because that could solve 80 to 90% of the problems, in my
1: opinion. Absolutely. And the converse of that, 80 to 90% of the problems that we're experiencing right now are with us because they have, again, the big government coalition, education department, et cetera, et cetera. They have been having a free ride, a free ride in Mo- and moving, incorporating their philosophy into the government school system. So to answer your question, perhaps, what can be done? Well, I, if, I can tell you right now, and there are many others, just like you mentioned, some politicians have talked about uh, defunding the Department of Education. The last that I remember is around Reagan. That was one of his platform issues and and, you know the great Reagan revolution and he wasn't even successful in doing that. It can be done. This is my suggestion. Some other politicians have talked about this. So to address your, your question, it can be done and this is the way that it can be done. The budget that right now we have going to the Department of Education, we divide that by state relative to population. And that chunk of money goes to each of the states in the form of a block grant to their state department of education. So they still will get the money access to the funds that our government has allocated to education. But each state then will determine how that funding will be you know, spent uh, as far as curriculum matters in each of the 50 states. And by doing that, what you also are doing is eliminating the Department of Education. Or if you don't want to eliminate it 100%, leave, leave $1 million a year that that organization can get. One million, just one. And they can create, uh, you know, programs that they want. And then they can present them to the states. And the states can choose whether they want to incorporate them or not. So it completely uh, turns on end what's happening right now. And it can, so it can be done. Um, like I said, that's up to uh, that's up to politicians to make that happen.
0: Why do you think Ronald Reagan failed um, in doing so? Um, did he have too many obstacles in his way? Do you have
1: just the details on that? Well, I don't have the details on it. Um, other than yes, we know that that was one of his platform issues. He would have done it if he could. <sighs> Sometimes in presidential politics, you have to pick your battles. You only have so much, you only have so much, um, you know, much in the, in the bank as it were. And you have to decide where you're going to use that goodwill in your bank towards what projects. And for whatever reason, you know, he ran out of the goodwill and the, uh, and the, the money in his bank to uh, go after the uh, Department of Education. But it's also an issue of Congress, right? Mm -hmm. Power of the purse. So yes, he could, the president can do that. But in reality, changing the uh, funding structure, turning that budget into block grants going to each of the 50 states, that's something that can be done by Congress. So have you you ever thought about running? You'd be fantastic. (laughs) why not,
0: man? Rory. learn some new ideas. You know, make well, a difference. If
1: I'm going to do that, you're going to be my campaign manager. So there I'm it in.
0: is. Amen. <laughs> Count me in. You're, you're in. All right.
1: I'll tell my wife that that we've got a campaign organization. <laughs> a- absolutely, I'd be Rory. happy to help. But have you have you give, have you given it much thought? I, I'm shaking my head. Uh, no, Rory. Let me just answer it this way, building of the statue of enduring freedom is, that's kind of like my life's mission and goal right now. I can't, you know, you have to focus on what it is you're going to do with the years that God gives you here on planet earth. And let's face it, I'm into my seventh, what am I into my seventh decade, I think right now. So uh, I'm going to have to just focus on this minor issue of getting a 305 foot statue built on the West Coast to be a companion to statue of liberty on the east coast and i think that's enough for me to bite off and and how many how many books have you written i imagine a few right in your life books this is um the way i can answer that is this is book number 3 but i but the first two one i was an executive director right a manager of the book right. and the other one i was a research consultant you know the guy in the trenches that does a lot of the work. So those two books have been published many years ago that I was directly involved in. And as an author in one of them, yes, I uh, I, I was involved in. They're included in that as along with the list of other authors. But anyway, so two books, but indirectly. This book, America's Freedom Megaphone, is my first complete soul project that, for good or for good or not, I'm responsible for. And how
0: is it working with Amazon, having the book up there? I've heard they're not very kind to conservatives like us and libertarians. Um, What's been your experience, though? Well,
1: I have a few thoughts on that, Rory. Uh Number one, first of all, our publicist, AJ Rice, he is like Mr. Cool, in my opinion, he's the greatest.
0: At- he he is—he's a superstar. He is the the yeah. greatest man. He—he's on top of everything. There's nobody better, best in the business. There you go.
1: And so, and we we love AJ totally. We respect his uh, skill set. We respect his passion about America and all things patriotic about America. So anyway, absolutely, AJ is on our team to provide publicity for the book. So with that knowing that, um, I'm sure that we will succeed and beyond that, can I just mention a few things as far as our target audience and my personal goals oh yeah for sure there were there were just um, oh, I don't know what 75 million people that voted for Donald Trump in the uh, in the 20 uh, 2020 presidential yeah that's all just 75 million. My goal is to uh, at least have 10 percent of those uh, voters buy my book that's all.
2: Uh, we'll figure market. out how
1: to do that. We'll find some smart, uh, you know, internet uh, marketing, social media marketing folks to help us reach that goal. But um, but we can do it. We can do it because um, America needs it. I, I just believe that. I just believe it. We're getting sick and tired. The millions, the millions of us. I coin a phrase in our book. We call it the uh, the freedom movement, similar to the Tea Party movement when that happened. Um, loosely organized group of individuals and organizations that are all singularly focused on returning America to where it was when we started and where we became great. And that freedom movement, those individuals, of which there are millions, and I've listed in my book, by the way, um, probably 50 of those organizations that that exist today Doing the same thing, trying to move America forward in, in the same direction that I'm talking about, and in the same direction that the Statue of Enduring Freedom, you know, will shine light on. So those folks eventually will look at my book. They will become champ, I hope they will become champions of being it built um, because we are championing the same message that they are championing themselves. And I'm thinking of the wall builder guys, you know, uh, Barton family uh, down in Texas. And anyway, I've listed a whole bunch of them in my book. So what was your question? I don't remember. <laughs> we're going to
0: take a quick two-minute break and we're going to come right back. We're going to come two right minutes.
1: back. Time out. Yep. S- stay with
0: us, everybody. Rory Sauter in the news. We'll be right back. And we are back Rory Soder in the news, back with Daniel bulls. So Daniel, I'm reading here. Uh, you served in the army. Um, thank you for your service. I, I, I always, you know, give high praise and, and great gratitude to our veterans. They are the real heroes in, in this country, um, fighting for our freedom, safety and security. Um, yeah, it says here, you're a third generation army veteran, you served with NATO and in, in Bavaria, Germany during the ending years of the Vietnam War. Wow. What was, what was that like though? Just being around that
1: environment? It was eye-opening, Rory. And uh, that was the same time period that I wrote that essay that I referred to for the Freedoms Foundation, that essay writing contest, and mine was called Preservation of America. I guess somebody read it because I got a letter from then President uh, Gerald R. Ford saying, hey, thanks Bowles, you're a wonderful patriot. Hang in there, dude. <clears throat> so, um, but what was that like? So we're talking uh, the, the, the Mint 70s. Real
0: quick, what was it like when you got that letter? I mean, what, was that the most surreal experience of your life? Getting an actual letter from the president of the United States? What are the chances? That's like a one in a million. It's like, wow, dude, that's like, you probably have that framed. You probably have it somewhere where you look at it every once in a while and you get a big smile on your face and brings back. Awesome memories.
1: Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> right. Right. Yes, yes, and yes. So, yeah, my time there, 70 in the 70s, uh, one big event that happened. So, first of all, you need to understand that my basic training group, the 300 of us guys, uh, all of us except four of us went to Vietnam, and I was one of the four. Mm-hmm. Three of us went to Germany with NATO, and the other guy was sent to Italy somewhere, so I was thrilled that I didn't have to go to Vietnam, but you know I spent my time there in, uh, in Germany sitting on the Czechoslovakian border. But I, d- I will mention this, and this has to do with uh, something. Maybe it has to do with terrorism and my... Uh... But anyway, I was there in Southern Germany when in 1972, we had the Summer Olympics in Munich, and that was the year that the Palestinians uh, terrorists decide to jump the walls at the olympic uh, village and they they killed uh they shot up a bunch of athletes and their coaches it was a horrible horrible moment um their uh their terrorist hey, leader at hey, the time daniel, was,
0: daniel i gotta fix something in the settings we're gonna take literally a 20 second break we'll be right back we'll be right back i'm holding stay with us
1: something over there
0: all right fixed as you were saying
1: let's see oh yeah so you asked me what that was like my experience in uh, in Germany during uh, that time period um so I only had to take my uh, my m16 out once with live ammunition it was during that time when the Palestinian terrorist led by Yasser Arafat at the time the PLO uh, leader uh, when they jumped uh, the fence and killed all of those Israeli athletes and their coaches. It was horrible. It was horrible. And and at that time, our base and several others went on full alert, got the ammunition. You know, the instructions were were simple. If they don't have the password that they issued, shoot first, and we'll work out the details later. So that was like my closest experience with combat what my, my MOS was not a combat soldier, unlike uh, my father. So yeah, it was a great, uh, it was a good eye opening experience. I'll just say it that way. And being over there
0: and not having to go to Vietnam, was that a relief for you? Did, did you, were you worried that you would be in the middle of that? Because it was not a,
1: it was not a pleasant situation. It was pretty ugly. Well, it was, and you know, we can uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and we know what happened in the Vietnam War in the, in the, in the large extent. But specifically with me, I'm, I'm glad that I went where I went because um I don't know why, but uh, I was apparently a good shot during uh, basic training, and I had this fancy. They were going to send me. They offered to send me to sniper school. They also wow. offered to send, send me you to have been the next trip Kyle. You could have been one of those top top snipers, man. Yeah, and dead too. No, yes. I don't know. minus minus that part. But you yeah, know, there what you mean. go. Oh, my God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so uh, there it is, and uh, and that was, uh, like I say, a great eye-opening experience. One of the great things about uh, growing up in America, but then living outside of the United States for multiple years, and I've done that for many years lived for a long time in Scotland, and now Germany here, is you you see America from the outside looking in. And that is a completely different perspective, a completely different experience. And I just wish more of our young people could experience that somehow in some, some way, because it really brings home what America is all about, the American dream, in a way that some of us who grew up here and never go outside of our state boundaries we don't experience unfortunately explain the culture difference
0: over there compared to here then or now what
1: then or now
0: over there like back then it hasn't changed much has it in regards to what their values are Would you say it's pretty similar?
1: I mean, we've changed quite significantly, but. Well, I can answer that on a political front. First of all, Um, you know. A lot of countries in Europe, for whatever reasons, they've embraced socialism or call it soft socialism they they love the uh, they love uh, free health you know the government pays for health and tax the heck out of me I don't care just they love those kind of things, and uh, and they have they embraced it then they embrace it today, and uh, I for me it's a sad thing I mean who saved who saved uh, Germany's butt in World War One wait let me look that's right it was the United States who saved Europe's tail end. From World War II and Hitler's hell. Wait, wait! It was America. That's right. When we were coming over as a patriotic, democratic country, not a socialist country, we're the we are the ones that stepped up. And yet today, they, uh, you know, they do this.
0: Is the America as we know it gone for good? Has there been too much damage to bring it back and
1: restore it to what our founding fathers, you know, originated? My answer to that question, Rory, is a big no, capital N-O, put it in bold and put an exclamation behind it. It's never too late for America, period. And in fact, I think that the that the societal mess that we are in the middle right now is providing an impetus for people like me, for people like you and the millions of others in this freedom movement. It's providing the impetus for us to get off of our tails and actually to do things more actively. In my book, I, I reference the uh, the term, the silent majority. This was a term that has been used historically in politics in the United States for a long time. I believe that everything that you're talking about and the crap that's going on in America right now, the frustration that normal hardworking Americans are feeling as members of the the silent majority, they are becoming silent no more. They're the sleeping giant of the the silent majority. We are sleeping no more. And that I believe is the beauty of the message and the building of the Statue of Enduring Freedom. The Statue of Enduring Freedom can become a, a symbol that America will prevail. That our founding principles of, of liberty and freedom will prevail, and that and that and that we will we will win, you know. Uh, we say quite often in the circles that I uh, run in, um, freedom will prevail, evil will fail, and that's my answer to your question.
0: What What do you think is to blame for us going so far backwards? to where we got to, you know, like if you had to give
1: that explanation. We got lazy, entitlement. We got, we got comfortable. We were focused on family issues, basic issues, getting a job, raising a family, raising your children, all of those key personal patriotic issues. We focused on those and those alone, and as far as politics in our country, and and the social issues of our country, we were asleep at the wheel. I believe that's how we have migrated to the point that we're at today. We got lazy, but we're lazy no more, Rory. We are lazy no more, period. And you know what I do
0: notice, and if you look at statistics if you look at history if you talk to you know older individuals the work ethic years ago was way stronger way more disciplined than it is today you know so many people in this era want stuff handed to them on a silver platter they don't want to go out and earn it everybody thinks they can just land on home plate and be the ceo they don't want to st- start from the ground up.
1: It's a problem. It is, and it's a problem that can be can be overcome. And we're becoming and to 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 overcome that. The first thing you need to is be to do is to become aware of that reality. And we are becoming. We are now aware of that reality. Um. A segue off of that statement, uh, Rory, that you'd be interested in is the magnitude of voices. The magnitude of voices on the liberal big government coalition side is very, very loud. And it's loud for many reasons, and particularly because of the mainstream media, you know, making it so loud. And voices like yours and like mine and all these kind of normal citizens, we have a voice, but it's it's a very small voice. But the right. good part is, again, I'm going back to this freedom movement, the millions of Americans that are part of this freedom movement indirectly. They don't even know they're part of it. They just know that something is screwed up. The Statue of Enduring Freedom will become a uniting symbol for all of these individuals like you and your friends, like me and my friends, and the millions and millions of others who are frustrated about the way our society is going to hell. The Statue of Enduring Freedom will become a visual uniting symbol and hence our voice. Our voice will become louder and more passionate than the voice that is currently dominating our society that uh, is taking us down to hell, and handbasket.
0: Yeah, and you know, with the way things have gone politically, do you have any faith in our elected officials moving forward? I mean, 98% of them just seem like such a waste. They seem so useless. Even people in our, in our own party, a lot of them are, are so useless. Like they're good for nothing. And it really disgusts me. We, we elect these people to go work for us. And in reality, they work for themselves and enrich their bank accounts.
1: And they give us the finger. I believe that's going to change as well that migration, that change that you're talking about is going to begin. And I think that migration has already begun as far as politicians. And that will happen again through the, the monument's ongoing educational outreach message and what we will be doing as far as teaching. And my, what I'm getting at is when the Founding Fathers set up America, they never envisioned that government officials, politic, polit, politics would be a career. Never. They said, go into Washington and do your thing or go into your state, you know, capital and do something for a few years and then return and and continue your career. Be a statesman, the term they used. What's happened is we have morphed, you know, it's kind of like uh, when you read uh, Machiavelli's The Prince. We have morphed to uh, mankind's weaker side that says, I'm, I'm going to go for everything that, that I can get personally, and to heck with everybody else, including politics. You will notice that many politicians today, and this is why you have the frustration you just talked about, they actually believe that be a, being a politician is a career path, it's a career choice. And they actually honor themselves if they can stay in office until they're 90 years old. They think that's a good thing. And you and I and millions like us know that is wrong. And that is going to be changing. We are now elect beginning to elect individuals who are going to Washington, who know that that's wrong, that a career politician, That is the wrong mindset. That is a mindset that pollutes America. And we're getting more and more of those individuals every day and I salute every one of them. And that's just the way I feel.
0: Do you think we'll ever get term limits or do you think that's wishful thinking, fantasy land,
1: it's not wishful thinking, and it's not fantasy land. It's something that very much can and will happen. There is an organization um, that uh, has that as their um, their purpose in life. I'm a member of it, and uh, the great one, Mark Levin. He's one of the uh, chief champions of that whole movement to um, have a constitutional convention. Their main objective is to do just that, um, right. creating term limits uh, for the other houses of of uh, of our country and you know that's and how can that happen well first of all when again this what i'm going to say this is never taught this is not taught and i taught history and civics okay in high school yeah this that i'm going to say is not taught but it's the facts when george washington was our first you know founding father wonderful person and the first president he and every president since him had a gentleman's agreement that went like this, we'll serve two terms as president and then we will go home too. But it was a gentleman's agreement. Up until who, answer, up until FDR. Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, screw that, I'm wonderful. America needs me. He was elected to a third term and then he was also elected to a fourth term. And at that point, Congress, smartly said, wait a minute, time out. This is wrong. This is how tyrants and dictators take over. They want to be in charge forever. They created an amendment. I think it's the 14th. I should know that. But anyway, they created an amendment that at that point put term limits on the office of president. Two years. That's how that happened. But it happened because he went rogue and threw in the face of all those previous presidents in America before him of a gentleman's agreement of two years. So two terms, excuse me, two terms. And so it was done then for the executive branch. Okay. We did that and we can do the same thing for the legislative uh, branch as well. Absolutely. Needs to be done. And there's an organization working to make that happen.
0: And we've seen continuously a few different elected officials put it on the floor
1: and it never, never passes. Well, it doesn't. And and there are reasons for that. It's called, you know, self-interest and all those other bad things. Like I want to be a career politician and get out of my face, but there's another, there's another Avenue to make that happen. And that's the Avenue that this organization that Mark, uh, Mark Levin's involved in as I am, to uh, use a constitutional convention to uh, take care of that.
0: And it says after you were a teacher, you invented a stereo electronics product and had it marketed on national television. Wow, man. In the eighties, 1988. Was that me? (laughs) Wow. Talk about that.
1: What was that like? So yes, uh, Rory, it's true. Um, I left uh, the teaching profession after five years and decided to follow my entrepreneurial business itchings as it were, I went to night school, got an MBA and then I got this idea to uh, create a product and the product was a result of my having written some children's stories and the thought process brought me to this product called Pillophonics. And uh, long story, uh, we eventually got it marketed on national television through the QVC, uh, you know, national shopping network, whatever it is today. And uh, it was cool. We sold out when we got on national TV. We uh, we sold out the entire inventory remaining that we had in like four and a half minutes. So boom, you know, the product was uh, massively successful. Uh, But uh, but then I failed at uh, finding investors to, you know, invest more money in it so we could make more product and market, et cetera, et cetera. And that's when it uh, that's when it ended. But it was a cool product. It could come back someday. What's it like launching a
0: product back then compared to now? You know, explain the difference Um, because back then, you know, yeah, talk about night
1: and day. Go ahead. I, I love your reference back then. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and that's true, Rory. It's true. Back then it was different. I love what's happening today. Let me just say it that way. Um, I love what's happening today in regards to the social media marketing platform. I just love what is able to happen today for all sorts of people that do not have a multi-million-dollar backing to promote a product through social media marketing and sell that product and become successful. I just think that is the most wonderful technological advancement ever because it allows young people like yourself and those others that we know of that are quote unquote normal people to develop and market a product and become successful without all the infrastructure crap that I had to go through in the eighties. So I'm a fan.
0: Oh, yeah, it's fascinating. And all the different resources and all the different outlets and all the different options we have. And I work in technology, I've been building apps for about 10 years. So uh, it's a fascinating realm. Um, So evolved. I always tell people, you know, the technology and these apps, it's the closest thing to magic. It's a few click of a buttons. And you're at your destination, you know, you, you, you can do anything with this phone, these smartphones. And, you know, with with this show. I I have two media networks now that I built and launched and we have different shows on there and it's a lot of fun and independent media is is the new way. It's the way we can really get our message out there, utilize our voice, really speak to the masses. And there's no agenda. There's, it's all authentic. What you see is what you get. The mainstream media, that's the problem with them is they are so controlled. It's so phony. It's like Hollywood. You're not getting the real deal you know, and, and people being able to, you know, uh, brand, uh, use this for branding and really, uh, expanding their businesses. I mean, it's so many great things that podcasting and these shows are good for and having
1: great interviews and great conversations like we are. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And the way I see everything that you've just talked about is an application of individual freedom and democracy that exists in America. It allows individuals like you and all of your friends and even guys like me to reach millions. And by doing that, we are able to become successful or not. We can fail also, but the point is, there is not a huge big government coalition that we have to dance to. We dance to our own drummer and that is that exists in a constitutional free market economy. And this is why this is why I'm positive about uh, America and what we're going, what the hell we're going through right now, societal-wise. This is why I'm positive that we will get out of it and we will be the better for it. Because individual freedom not only is important for us, you know, in our heart, but we are experiencing it through this social media, social technological world that you live in we're experiencing that right as individuals. It's wonderful. And the reason that the big media boys don't like it, the reason that, you know, uh, some of the old school people bemoan the old days, like, Oh, we wish that we could have Walter Cronkite telling us how to think and when to think they missed those days because that was big government control. They control the message. And today, they don't there no one controls the message individuals can produce and promote their own message and that is individual freedom and liberty on steroids and it's wonderful did
0: you ever think back in the day that it would be this evolved in 2024 within the technology realm did you ever think it would be this advanced
1: and No, and the answer to that question is an analogy, and it's one with my grandmother Mother had. Uh, When she was a young girl, um, she told us that she watched the the Wright brothers, Orville and Wilbur, take off in their first little airplane, okay, as a young girl. And guess what? As an old lady, before she died, she saw freaking um, Armstrong land on the moon. So what 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 a uh, what a life's experience and lifespan to see that kind of change happen in aerospace? Okay, from the Wright brothers to going to the moon, she saw that in one lifetime, right? And so answer, I use that as an analogy to answer your question. No, I have I've never experienced it. I, I but I'm I'm wonder I'm happy that it's here. Absolutely happy. Yeah, it's it, it's
0: fascinating stuff. And it says right here you've consulted for private companies educational organizations and nonprofit foundations, man, you're a busy guy.
1: Yeah. Well, talk to my wife if you want the, the backstory on all of that.
0: (laughs) Fun. Good time. So how long have you been doing the consulting stuff for?
1: I started my own company in 87. Wow. had various clients, big ones and small, big ones and small ones since then. And of course, the the client now that I'm working for is my own company, Freedom Alliance LLC. So uh, we've gone the gamut. I've played the uh, the corporate you know role for quite a while. I was in executive sales for quite a while, and uh, I guess I've been around the block. And what's some of your biggest clients? What do what do you most well, I don't want to give them any free advertising, but I will say that I was in the publishing industry for quite a while. Oh, wow. You've done it all, man. Jack of all trades. <laughs> well, you know the end of that saying. Jack of all trades and master of none. Oh, no, not me. <laughs> so you were in the
0: publishing industry. Carry on. Continue.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that was one of the corporate worlds that I, or corporate, uh, venues that I was in. I loved it, to be honest. I was in both printing, uh, designing, um, and marketing. Uh, we established uh, new uh, clients around. I was flying around the country, setting up and pitching you know, companies, uh, organizations to become clients of ours. And we we did a lot of printing stuff, magazines and newsprint uh, products. Um, so, So there it is. Competitive business, right? Very competitive. I could say cutthroat, but yeah, we experience, you know, the whole gamut. I mean, let's face it, Rory, you know this. In life, there are honorable people that you get to work with. And in the process, you run into a lot of unhonorable, dishonorable individuals and corporations. So uh, over the years, you experience both and uh, ups and downs, right? Sometimes you get burned by those uh, those nasty ones, and, and other times you have just a real fulfilling experience working with those who are honorable. One of did them have- was, uh, in my opinion, uh, Stephen R. Covey, you know, the author of uh, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. In my opinion, he was one of the honorable ones that did a lot of good in the world.
0: Did you have a couple of bad experiences that um, didn't sit well with you?
1: <laughs> I had a couple of bad experiences that not only did not only did they not sit well, but they messed me up financially <clears throat> as well. Jeez. So we'll just leave it at that. I like to focus on the honorable individuals that I was able to rub shoulders with.
0: And and I, I want to ask you, you're the founder and writing force behind
1: autotipguru.com. Explain that to the audience. Well, so all of us have different hobbies and interests, and I'll just admit it. Uh, one of mine is uh, automobiles and motorcycles. Nice. Um, nice. You know, um, I like to go fast and with cars. Me too, and hell yeah! I'll, I'll just the faster say, the better. And you admit it, faster the better. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, going fast. I'm not all about. I'm not all about that motto. Slow and steady wins
0: the race. No, the faster the better, baby. Oh, <laughs>
1: right. yes. One of my highlights, one of my top ten best days in my entire life was spending a week at the Indy 500. Wow. Oh, yeah. Another Jeez. one using Mario Andretti and having him sign my motorcycle helmet. I mean, it's oh, on wow. and on. I'm a car guy. I admit it. And because I like to write, I write for Auto Tip Guru. It's my company. I write yeah. a monthly uh, column for consumer automotive uh, readers, and I do that. Um, whatever. No, um, dude. So, t- so how long have you had this in place for? Oh my gosh, I don't know. Fifteen. 15 years now, I'd have to check my files, but it's been a while, but I'm also Sorry, on I'm the my
0: dog's chewing on the, the, um, the curtain. Um, hey, so that.
1: you yeah, gotta do this, that. take, take your dog to some dog obedience on, man. classes, man. He's getting a little out of control. Yeah. She's, she's a handful. She's nine months. She's a
0: puppy. Um, oh okay. Yeah. Yeah. But the whole, the whole auto, um, industry, wh- what do you, where do you think it's going? Uh, Are you nervous that uh, with the way prices are with the way interest rates are, uh, they're not selling as many cars, Uh, there's a lot of reports that are not good
1: uh, in the auto market. That's exactly right. And in my opinion, they deserve every downturn that they get, they meaning the industry themselves. Um, I was just talking to a Lexus dealer last week. Looking at some of the machines they had on their salesroom floor. And uh, the salesman, I asked the salesman, why is this model so much less expensive than this model, right on the same sales floor? And he said, Well, oh, that's simple, balls This one that's cheaper does not have all the high tech improvements that this model has. And therefore, this model is $15,000 more. And I shook my head and I said, Well, you know, for uh, a lot of car consumers, we just see a car as a piece of metal to get us from point A to point B. That's it. And this business, and then I asked him a question. I said, do you ever foresee as a salesman, do you ever foresee a time when me as a consumer can come into the into your show, showroom and say, hi, I'd like this car, but I want the no-tech version, no-tech, instead of and, and low-tech versus the high tech stuff of all the computer chips and hundreds of them that are in this vehicle. Can I get a low tech or no tech vehicle? And he smiled and he said, you know, Bowles, uh, we have a lot of people that complain about the, the influx and increase of high tech in vehicles. They don't like it and et cetera, et cetera. And so that's my, um, that's my two cents worth on the auto industry. I could go into more details, but whatever.
0: A lot of people think there'll be a collapse economically, including myself. Um, I think things are going to be worse than the Great Depression. This this is the place I don't have optimism. This is the place where I think there's going to be a lot of chaos of the economy just because of all the buildup, everything we've been experiencing, all the inflation, all the endless printing of money, the raising of the debt, and they don't stop. Um, a lot of bankruptcies, a lot of a record number of credit card debt now over a trillion dollars. I mean, I could just go on and on, on all the indicators, but anyways, um, when this all does hit the fan, do you see the auto industry suffering more than 2008? Cause they suffered like hell. Uh, but at the same time, they did get bailed out, which was, which was a big thing. I can imagine the bailouts are probably going to come again.
1: I hope you the- look at the- all the
0: re- like you, you were pointing something out that was very, on point. They make a lot of reckless decisions and then they make these reckless decisions and then they
1: get bailed out with taxpayer dollars. It's kind of sick. Those times have to end. Those times simply have to end or, or their industries will completely fail and they'll have to start from scratch. This business, again, another reason I make the case in my book, America's Freedom Megaphone, to be found at freedomalliancellc.com. Love it. I'm being told I have to pitch my book, so there it is. But uh, where was I on that? I'm sure it was something salient. Well, the car industry, yes, and bailing out. Uh, Yeah. That is an example of the big government coalition usurping In this case, corporate America, the free constitutional um, economic uh, issues that we have going on in America. It was a failure, it was wrong, and I think there are individuals that realize, including politicians, realize that it was wrong and that none of that can happen anymore, uh, period. So uh, I guess to answer your question, I'm hopeful, even though I I agree with the list that you, uh, mentioned, that's quite a list. It's pretty dire. Um, one way or another, uh, the American economy uh, will come through, we'll have, you know, band aids on our forehead, and we'll have, you know, ace bandages around our knees, we will be beat up absolutely. But I do believe that in the end, we will, we will prevail.
0: What do you if think? You of mind. What do you think of China now? It was just announced on the news breaking yesterday. They are now the leader in exporting cars in the world.
1: (laughs) Does that surprise you? Uh, No, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, It doesn't. Um, I do believe, though, that uh, that will not, I believe that's a blip in the historical timeline. Why do I say that? I say that because of, again, history. Look what happened to the economy in the USSR. Why did why did communist Russia fail? They failed because they couldn't feed their own people. They put all of their money into, in their case, into defense, and they couldn't feed their own people and their economy, their country imploded. Right. China, who is China? China is the... Is, is the Soviet Union of today, meaning they are a huge communist run, one party uh, country. And they will fail just like the Soviet Union, long-term will fail. That form of government, now you're getting into my political side of my life, is not sustainable. Communism is not sustainable. Look at, anyway, I don't wanna get into all that political stuff. But uh, China, yeah, uh, that's a positive blip on the historical map for them, and it will not continue, period. And, and the war
0: on free speech is a big thing right now um, in our country, and that, that all factors into freedom. What do you make of that? I mean, it's probably the worst it's ever been with everybody getting censored, people in certain cases going to jail in
2: many cases
0: right um, I, yeah um over in certain countries now they're penalizing people <clears throat> for misgendering um it goes on and on the war on free you can't say you know how you feel you can't you know offend any groups you can't you pretty much just have to
1: be a good little puppy dog rory the answer to that observation which is very astute on your part i will say that The answer to uh, that observation is found in George Orwell's 1984 novel, and also by uh, Huxley's uh, A Brave New World. The answer to everything that you just said about controlling speech and manipulating and this and that and everything, the answers to all those questions are found in those two books from those two uh, authors. Again, they have no future in the history of mankind. Yes, they're controlling or they're, in, they're influencing a lot of society right now, that's true. But again, I'm going back to our silent majority, the 75 million that voted for President Trump and many other millions who kind of would like to have, but they didn't have enough guts to, those people are not sleeping anymore. They're not in hibernation anymore, Rory. And when that happens, when they start yelling, when they unite around the building of the Statue of Enduring Freedom, that message, that voice will be so loud and instill so much courage in normal Americans and patriots all over that that voice will be, it will be loud. It will be, it will be, you know, the decibels will just be breaking your eardrums. It will be so loud. And that is the, the loudness and the and the and the yelling for individual freedom. Period. And that is the message that will prevail. There it is.
0: No, I hear you. I hear you. And have you paid much attention to what the World Economic Forum has in place, the plans, and what they're trying to implement into society, and how they're trying to control and.
1: And the answer is yes, that's on page 76 through 81 in my book, America's Freedom Megaphone. Charles Schwab and all of the folks at Davos when they get together every year, the World Economic Forum that you're discussing, asking about, they are the epitome. They are the poster child of the big government coalition. Absolutely. They are hell bent on one thing. What is that? Central control. Absolutely. They want to control society. They want to incro- in control the economic activity of everyone. And that concept of central control, um, I quote several uh, immigrants who came from a communist country, Soviet Union included, the concept of central control does not work. And of course, that's what and the and the World Economic Forum guys, that's what they're all about. They say it. Yeah you will own nothing no individual ownership and you'll be happy you will do this and this and this according to uh, their their designs and um, shame on them but uh, <clears throat> individual freedom and liberty will trump that message every day well
0: said well said biggest takeaway you want people to get from this book
1: okay i love takeaways amazon is selling my book America's Freedom Megaphone. Go out and buy a thousand of them, buy 10,000. My goal I told you is 10% of the 75 million people that voted for President Trump. 10% of 75 million, what is that? I don't know. Do the math. It's a whole it's a big number. That's my takeaway. The beginning of building the uh, Statue of Enduring Freedom is buying my book, embracing its message. And joining our freedom movement around the country and helping to make that happen. I guess that's my takeaway. Can I pitch my book? Is that all right? Absolutely.
0: And tell everybody where they can find it too. And find Oh, where you. they can
1: find it. Thanks for asking. Yep. So go to our website, freedomalliancellc.com. Again, freedomalliancellc.com. And there you go.
0: Perfect. Well, Daniel, it's been a pleasure. We will talk to you very soon. Um, Keep up the good work. Um, I could talk to you all day, man. It's been fun. I got to get to my next guest though. Take a quick break, but have a great weekend and God bless you, man. Thank you, Rory. Appreciate it. You're the man. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back. Everybody stay with us. And we are back, Rory Sauter and the news, coming to you live. Uh, I do wanna introduce our next guest, I believe he's with us right now. We have Daniel Street with us, Daniel. How do you do? Can you hear me? What's what's going on? Good to have you on, your first time here. It's a pleasure. First and foremost, give us a bio, a background. You've had quite the life.
3: Well, I'm a lawyer and really that's mainly what I do. I practice law for 27 years, and I also write. I'm an author, a legal analyst. I have a, a Substack where I keep up with current events and write about current events and things. And and more than, but more than anything, I'm a practicing attorney, so I practice every day, just about every day of the week, um, all year long.
0: Very cool, man. Good stuff. And what kind of um, law do you primarily focus on?
3: I handle mostly personal injury claims in uh, state and federal court. So I handle product liability cases, workers' comp, auto accidents, things of that nature, and I do some administrative work, uh, but that's a much smaller percentage of my practice.
0: I imagine you get quite a few clients, right? Those injury uh, <laughs> scenarios—it it happens often. Yeah,
3: you know. In fact, uh, I, I would say that I don't have
0: enough. You know, we can never have too many. Right. And um, give us kind of a breakdown and kind of um, just how it all works going through these court proceedings um, with these, you know, injury suits. And I know it can take a long time.
3: Yeah, well, you know, 90 percent of them settle, probably a little higher than 90 percent of the claims settle. So mm-hmm. mostly it's uh you know building the claim up working the claim up uh and then uh resolving it is really what we do the vast majority of the time they call us trial lawyers but we try one out of every
0: 40. Yeah. and what is the reason it's 90 percent of the time they're settled outside of court mainly because of costs would you say they don't want to use all the money on court fees and spending money on lawyer fee. and it's just it's a drag right
3: yeah, no, actually, I think that the reason most claims settle is because uh, the parties during the course of the, the claim narrow the issues down to what's in dispute. And when you get to where you're not that far apart, you usually just resolve it. So um, that, that's my perception
0: of why most claims settle. Do those trials get pretty ugly, man? Like when you when you get to that point, does it get they, pretty pretty intense?
3: Yeah, They can they can, the vast majority of the time, you know, lawyers uh, tend to be very professional to one another. And um, most of the time, I would say of all the cases I've tried in my 27 years, it got really, really contentious. Maybe I can count on two hands, the number of times where we're we're the kind of, the kind of thing where I said, I'm gonna let that guy leave the courtroom before me so we don't bump into each other in the parking lot. You know, it just doesn't
0: happen very often. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. And you're out of Louisiana.
3: Monroe, Louisiana.
0: Very. Now, how, how far is that from New Orleans?
3: As far as you can get and not wow. be, still be in Louisiana. I'm 30 miles south of the Arkansas line. Oh, So, okay. just, you could, you just about couldn't position yourself to be farther away from New Orleans.
0: So, you're closer to the capital, it sounds like.
3: I am, well, I'm closer, I'm closer to the capital than New Orleans because Baton Rouge is about a, about 80 miles north, kind of northwest of uh, New Orleans.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And the laws in those states, aren't they a little, you know, more severe and, you know, have harsher consequences than others?
3: Well, in Louisiana, I would say that uh, probably, that's probably not the case with respect to the work that I do. Now, on the criminal side of of, uh, litigation, um, I would say, yeah, Louisiana probably has harsher sentencing and harsher sentence enhancements and, and things than a lot of other states do. I haven't done a survey of that nationwide, but we're generally known as a place that will kind of drop the hammer on a criminal defendant.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, – I I was down in New Orleans a couple of years ago. I like it down there, man. Louisiana culture, people are friendly. You know, people are – yeah, it's cool. It's different. It's It's just – it's – and that's what I love about this country is you go to different states and it's almost like, you know, it's just, it's the way they do things. It's just, it's, it's cool to be around all these different traditions, all these different values, all these different cultures, you know, cause you'll be in a different state and then you'll go to somewhere else and it'll be totally opposite how they go about their daily life, the curriculum. And I just think it's cool.
3: Well, I agree with you. I think I've I've traveled all over the country Yeah, and and, you know, there's always there, there's parts of America I haven't been to. It's a beautiful country. A lot of wonderful people. New Orleans is, is uh, the kind of place I always tell people, you know, you need to be careful when you're down there, but um, bring your wallet because you're going to need it. Right. And, and don't worry about your your diet and don't worry about your waistline. Because <laughs> right. You're going you're gonna to blow a diet and your waistline Absolutely. is going to get bigger. That's just yes. all there is to it. You
0: know? Absolutely. What's your favorite Louisiana dish? I'm sure you have too many to, to name, but if you had to give like one.
3: Absolutely. My, my stepdad is from down in South Louisiana, and he makes the best sa- chicken and sausage jambalaya in oh. St. Louis chicken and it's just absolutely incredible it's got boston butt in it and a bunch of other things but it is just incredible and i try to do it i've got the recipe although I always accuse him of holding out on me because mine never turns out as good as his know.
0: nice man good stuff and uh in regards to the governor you guys just got a new governor not too long ago right is i i thought for a, you know for a democrat i've never voted democrat in my life but for a democrat i thought edwards was somewhat decent. I mean, I I, he was moderate. I I would say he's a reasonable type of Democrat compared to what they've become today, how radical they are. Um but obviously I don't obviously there's a lot about Edwards I don't agree with. But um yeah what are your thoughts what are your thoughts on the new guy that came in?
3: Well our new governor is Jeff Landry. He was the attorney general uh, previously right and I will tell you he literally just took office this week. Uh, there's a lot of high expectations for Jeff Landry. And what I would like for, for your audience to understand is that Jeff Landry is one of the, the people who uh, brought the lawsuit called Missouri versus Biden that's actually pending, it uh, was originally pending anyway, in the Western District of uh, Louisiana, the U- United States District Court for the Western District of Louisiana in the Monroe Division in front of our local federal judge. And that's the case about um, the the federal government uh, censorship of American citizens and their and their collusion with various different uh, private entities to get people banned off of Twitter and shut down free speech. And Jeff Landry was one of the masterminds behind that lawsuit challenging the government's effort, the federal government's effort to stymie the free speech of Americans. So I can tell you that. Uh, Jeff Landry walks the walk, he talks the talk, and he believes, in, uh, he believes in conservative principles, he believes in free speech, he believes in the right to bear arms, and he is a uh, legitimate, without a doubt, conservative. So we're, you know, we've got good expectations and high expectations that, that we can turn a few things around that need
0: to be turned around. And doesn't the war on free speech drive you nuts? How they want to censor our voice? They don't want us to speak the truth. They're threatened by us because anytime you censor, any anytime you try to silence somebody, that's out of fear. You know, they they know when somebody has the power to get the truth out there and speak their voice. That's dangerous. That's dangerous for the elites.
3: Absolutely, and look what what I explained to people about
0: Missouri versus Biden, and I've actually written
3: in my Substack about the case. But there's some other people really following it very closely. But what what's just to me, just absolutely shocking, just stunning about it is what they uncovered in the, during the discovery phase of this lawsuit is that the federal Bureau of investigation had a team of people working on all of this. And part of that team, a little sub part of that team was working to get the president of the United States at that time, Donald J. Trump banned from social media They were unsuccessful for a very long time and had had Twitter and other social media outlets telling them, no, that's not a violation of our terms of service. So the United States government and the federal law enforcement, whose boss was President Trump, he was the head honcho in the executive branch. They were actively undermining him in an election season to try to get him his voice silenced on social media. And when the truth came out about it, you would think. That the FBI director, you know, I don't know what he knew personally, what his personal level of knowledge was about all of this. But any decent person leading the FBI when this came out, would there'd be heads rolling. And what does he do? You know, just shrugs and says, oh, well, you know, and so that's what we're up against. These people will not just try to censor you and me. They try right. to censor their boss and the president of the United States
0: illegitimately. Yeah. And think about think about that for a second. The people at the highest level of government. Abusing their power in the worst type of in the worst type of way. I mean, these are people that we count on to keep us safe. And what they're doing is they're coming after us. They're not going after the enemy. They're coming after us, us innocent civilians.
3: Yeah. And look, the worst part about it is the lack of accountability right when, when when the truth came out the FBI posted on its uh Twitter payers X it's X now I got I gotta get that in my head
0: you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah I still call it Twitter man I still say Twitter it'll always be Twitter to me I feel I, I it feels weird to me saying X it sounds like a, a porn site like it just <laughs> yeah like I, I feel like Twitter is like what most people still say I I don't really it know many do. people I don't know many people that call it X because they're so used to just saying Twitter yeah, Twitter, Twitter Twitter you know you know, and the,
3: the FBI came out on its Twitter page and said this was all a conspiracy. I mean, it's not a conspiracy. It's been proven in court, been found by the court to be a fact. It's not a conspiracy anymore. And, right. uh, you know, the good news, there is good news, and I always try to be positive, is there yeah. a lot of people working to put a stop to this. There's, there's light shining on it that was never shown on it before. And the case went up in front of a federal judge who believes in the First Amendment and believes in the rule of law and is just flabbergasted, I'm sure, at what the government did. And he's worked actively, you know, he, he got into the case and ordered them to stop, granted an injunction. It's all the way at the Supreme Court now. But, you know, so <clears throat> there, it's, it's comforting to know, to know that there are people on the federal bench who care about this who wanted to stop. And uh, and the U.S. Fifth Circuit affirmed it. Now it's at the Supreme Court. So it's hopefully the Supreme Court will affirm the lower court's decision, and and this will end.
0: And speaking of censorship, does it make you sick to your stomach how much power and how exempt big tech is? You know, look at everything they're getting away with. Look at all Definitely. and look at all the the lawsuits and. It just seems like they always win. If anybody tries to throw anything at them, they're untouchable. Um, they, they control the world. That's why, they, we, that's why people refer to them as masters of the universe. They,
3: they do just about always win. And
0: you know the important thing,
3: the secret to social media's ability to evade responsibility for the things they do is Section 230 of the Communication Decency Act. So if you, if you don't mind, um, if, if I could address that real quick, what happened was ordinarily, if you, if you had a platform if, and, and you allowed me on it and I defamed people, you know, made defamatory statements, libelous statements about people, um, you would be responsible for that because you're the person who promoted it and published it. So I might be a writer for a paper, but if that paper publishes that defamatory, libelous statement, the paper's liable for it. So. The reason social media companies aren't liable for all the, you know, if you're on social media, you know how much libelous and slanderous and defamatory statements are made. The reason they're not liable for it is, is because of section 230. Otherwise, they would have to not moderate. All right. So if I put a bulletin board up and I say anybody can put up anything they want, I'm not liable for a defamatory statement or a libelous statement someone makes. But if I control the the substance and the content, then I am. Section 230 removes that liability for social media companies. They can can strangle the information. They can control the information. They can suppress information and promote whatever they want and have no liability whenever somebody defames someone because of Section 230. So the key to reining them in is to do away with it. And there's, there's a move to do that. It's just going to take a, a lot more uh, grassroots organizing, a lot more people really raising their voices about the issue.
0: And look at how they can skew the algorithms and really mess with that area. It It's constant. The elections, they, they do it. Uh, COVID, they did it. Yeah. You know, to me, that is... That's as evil as it gets. I mean, that's the ultimate betrayal. Uh, you know, not giving people full transparency, total agenda. You know, I
3: always say about speeches. This is very simple. If if someone's wrong about something, mm-hmm. if someone's position is untenable and it it has no support, it has no basis, and they're wrong, then those people, those are the people that need to talk, right. Let them say whatever and not let them, but they should be able to say whatever it is they want to say, because if I'm right, if I have the truth and I have the facts and I have the evidence on my side, then I'm going to debunk, refute and dispel whatever their misinformation is. It's only people, people who want to stop someone from talking generally
0: do that because they can't refute what the person has to say. Right. Yeah yeah and uh, you know we're seeing overseas they're putting people in jail um for misgendering uh for saying things about the government you know that's coming to the us we just saw a guy go to jail over memes with the hillary clinton 2016 scenario i don't know if you followed that but he did go to jail Tucker, tucker carlson interviewed him douglas Mackey. Oh, is that is that the kid? Is that the kid's name?
3: That's his name. That, yeah. that, then you got the guy, the Rebel TV reporter in in Canada, got got beat up and arrested last week for asking questions. Right, asking questions of right. government uh, representatives who didn't want to be asked any questions. So no, this is not that the free speech is under attack throughout the world. the The difference is that most places don't have a bill of rights in most places on earth don't have a first amendment. So there, you know, we, we have rights as Americans that a lot of other people don't. And, and that's one of them. And you'll see, like you mentioned in England, where people, if they say the wrong thing about the government and the wrong thing about a prosecution, the wrong thing about a person's gender or the wrong thing about a person's origin, they can literally go to jail. And this is, there's, illustration after illustration of that. And the first, that's why the First Amendment is so important, because that can't be done to us legally.
0: Right. Yeah, and I do wonder if we don't stop this, how out of hand will it get? Um, are people gonna be going to prison for years and years for posting memes and having opinions? Um, yeah. Because the New World Order, the elites, they had their way. This is what would happen. Yeah, no doubt.
3: And I, and I think the thing that we need to be vigilant about in this regard yeah, is the new left today does not believe in free speech. No. You may remember earlier, I mean, well, last year at a U.S. Senate hearing, uh, Senator, it was, I think it was Josh Howley from Missouri, but may have been Tom Cotton from Arkansas, but I think it was Howley. Senator Hallie asked a California Berkeley law professor who was testifying about some women's rights issue, and he asked her, uh, "Do women get pregnant?" And she said that statement was violence towards transgender women. I, I think I, I get confused as to which one. You know, a man who's trying to be a woman. A woman I don't remember which one's
0: which. But right now it's too much math. It's hard to keep up, you know, and if you
3: take somebody like that, like that extremist person who's a law professor at the University of California, Berkeley, and right. you put her on the federal court, do you think she would have one qualm at all about shutting someone's right or ability to make that statement that women get pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. No, because if it's violence, it's not protected speech. You see, so these people will just make everything violent. And now you can't talk unless you say what they agree with.
0: And you bring up, you know, the Supreme Court and you brought, you know, you brought up, you know, this, this whole transgender stuff and it factors into political correctness. And now we're hiring people based on their skin color, based on their orientation based on their sexual preference. We're not even hiring people based on merit anymore. And that scares me. And the Supreme Court is an example. The only reason Kataji Brown Jackson, whatever her name was, got appointed and picked was because she was black. And that's what the media, that's all the media could talk about. That's all they could, you know, glow over. That's all, that's all you heard. You didn't hear about, you know, Qualifications you didn't hear about her skill set. You didn't hear about her resume. All you heard was she's black. She's black, and th- there are so many examples, like I said, of people getting hired just for that reason, and for other reasons. You know, being transgender, being a lesbian, being gay. You know, it's it's like where ha- what what has happened?
3: Well, and then you had the the president of the United States, uh, Joe Biden, publicly stating that. Uh, when the, when he got the opportunity to nominate someone for the Supreme Court, he was going to nominate a person instead of color, right? He's going to nominate a non-white person. And, um, you know, I mean, that's his prerogative, obviously he's president, whether, whether he got there legitimately or not. And, um, but I just think, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible message to send for a variety of reasons, because what we're supposed to be trying to do is to have this colorblind society. You've seen the, the images of, the, you know, Lady Justice, and she has the blindfold and she can't see what anybody looks like, you know, and that's the whole point behind that. And when the president comes out and says, hey, the next the next opening there is on the highest court in the land. I'm only going to consider people who are a certain race or a certain gender or whatever. I mean, I, I just can't imagine that why, you know, even if he wanted to do that, he didn't have to publicly um, make that kind of proclamation. I don't, I don't understand the whole mentality, you know, to me, it makes no sense. And, uh, but I can say that about a lot of things that are happening today.
0: Yeah. And what, while we're talking about, you know people's rights being violated and freedom and all this stuff january 6th the anniversary was last saturday as a lawyer what do you make of this whole situation uh, oh, january 6th yeah yeah well
3: i'll start by observing that it was not an insurrection no um not by any definition not by any definition existing in law not as a practical matter not as a definition if you put, pick up Webster's dictionary you know um, the other, the other important important point about that is there's been over a thousand people charged by the United States Department of Justice for yeah. some conduct of some kind that occurred on in January 6th. Not one of those people. It's a bold statement, but it's true. Not one. Not the Oath Keepers. And le- least of all President Trump, none of them have been charged under the federal insurrection statute. That's 18 USC 2383. The closest they got to that is the oath keepers who were charged under the seditious conspiracy statute, but they weren't charged under the seditious conspiracy for conspiring to overthrow the government. They were charged for conspiring to obstruct the certification of the election. Okay. So it's, it's not an insurrection. It wasn't an insurrection. I'll tell you what it was. It was a riot. It was a riot that once all the truth comes out, we will learn was facilitated. Well, we already know this to a point. It was facilitated by law enforcement. It was primarily under the control of Nancy Pelosi, who was the the, uh, majority leader in the United States House of Representatives at the time, and uh, the mayor of uh, Washington, D.C. And uh, we know that there are a lot of undercover federal assets, undercover local law enforcement, and a lot of Antifa agitators. So by the time when all the light of truth gets shined on all of it, we'll find that the vast majority of the nastiness and the things that most people, including me find disagreeable about what happened on January 6th were instigated by agent provocateurs. So that's how I feel about January 6th. And and I'll point out that back at that time, I had friends and some family members and things that were wanting to go because they wanted to protest what uh, a lot of people, I think a majority of people probably view as an illegitimate election. And I told them all, don't go because that crowd's going to be riddled with feds and the Democrats are doing, they're they're up to something because there's going to be a historic objection to the certification of the election at that joint session of Congress, where the house and Senate meet to certify. And if you take out that interruption, you know, where, where the the Capitol had to be evacuated prior to that, we would have had twice as many objections, maybe even more. Because Senator Marsha Blackburn, Senator David Perdue, Senator Kelly Loeffler, just to name a few, changed their vote after the the, uh, Capitol was evacuated.
0: Did you see the DOJ came out last week? And it's been over three years since this happened. And they said they're still tracking people down, interviewing people and want people to pay a price. Who were just attending the event that day? People that were just there on the grounds that didn't even go into the Capitol.
3: I did see that, and yeah, and they're going to charge. It, it's it's uh it's a dis it's a disingenuous expansion of the disorderly conduct statute in in Washington. So I really, uh, you know, the Supreme Court that, that those cases, some of those cases are headed up to the higher courts now. Hopefully, they'll rein that in and put an end to it. Um. Roy, I got to tell you, I appreciate you having me on. I know we had we had some uh, technical issues on my end. I'm sorry about that. I have another call I need to take here in a
0: minute. Oh, okay, you got about five minutes?
3: Yeah, uh, no, actually, it's uh, right now.
0: I'm oh, sorry. you do? Okay, uh, real quick, though. I yeah. Before you do go, um, promote your book real quick.
3: Yeah, okay, so I've got four books. I've got three that are about fake news exposed about Trump. Um, The other, the most recent book, which, by the way, let me tell your your audience, you can get my most recent book, which is fake news about conservatives, immigration, uh, COVID. Uh, I got a couple of chapters about fake news that's been directed at uh, Governor DeSantis. They can get that at my website, both the digital version and the audio book for free. So if uh, my website is DanielRStreet.com, but you can get. Uh, my Substack, which is free, free copy of my newest book at com And there's links to my social media and to the books at Amazon.
0: Perfect. And you're on you're on Substack and you write quite a bit too. You write a lot of articles. I do.
3: Yeah, I write about,
0: the good thing about Substack
3: is you can write about things that are, as they're, as they're happening. Whereas when you publish a book, a lot of times by the, by the time the book is published, it's not as timely as you would like. So I use the Substack to weigh in on fake news and a lot of just legal analysis and things in kind of almost real-time, so to speak.
0: And, and Daniel, um, coming up this year, what are the three big headlines that you're focusing the most on? Right now, I'm
3: focused mostly on the, uh, the law of being ways to get President Trump. So the, the effort to get him off the ballot is probably the number one thing that, that I've been focused on the last few weeks. Uh, Then number two is going to be what's going to happen with the D.C. prosecution. And then the third thing I think uh, the the Florida prosecution I'm not so worried about. But the third thing that I'm I'm focusing on is election integrity. And so I've I've got some articles that I'm working on that I'm going to roll out as the, the year progresses and the election gets closer about what I call the Democrat fraud machine and what they're going to try to do to steal the election this time
0: speaking of the democrat fraud machine do you think hunter biden will pay a price and what did you make of his little uh, appearance on capitol hill yeah he
3: hunter is probably going to wind up being uh convicted of something but i would expect his his father these are all federal charges i would expect his father to pardon him so i think ultimately he'll have no consequences really
0: and i gotta ask you this fauci did you see the little elf on capitol hill on monday every other every other answer was i don't recall i don't recall sickening yeah well he was he was obviously
3: coached to stay out of perjury traps so right right sorry no that's good
0: no and he also said he admitted to lying about the social distancing he said that was all along a false narrative
3: yeah it was just made
0: up it was made up.
3: I, I actually wrote an article about that. Yeah, it's just made up. In Europe, it was three feet. In the U.S., it was six feet. It was all made up. WHO...
2: And, the va- and, the,
0: and the war on the vaccines, man. I mean, this is this is the biggest crime against humanity I think we've ever faced. I'm telling you, and, and I tell
3: you, my, my new book has uh, over and it's uh, 10 chapters about COVID misinformation, just about anything that the American people have been told about COVID about the vaccines about remedies about things that work don't work all misinformation it's uh, one of the great misinformation campaigns in the history of history
0: and it was run worldwide don't you agree there'll be more lockdowns because 70 percent complied well you know i i'm going to
3: disagree with that and i think because i know a lot of people who are just not going to do it again
0: they're just not going to do it i know i'm not
3: doing it again and uh, so I think there's going to be some civil disobedience if there's another lockdown.
0: Right. No, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. And, and again, uh, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can get involved, all that good stuff.
3: DanielRStreet.com. DanielRStreet.com. That's my website. There's links to everything I'm doing, and I would really like people to follow my Substack. It's DanielRStreet.Substack.com. It's free, and and I'm working on that to uh, you know if I can build. I really want to get that built up because. I'm able to be timely about the things that are going on right now. And I would really like to uh, have the opportunity to come back where, yeah. where I'm, I'm not so crunched right. on time because of the technical problem.
0: No, absolutely. And to conclude, last thing I want to ask you before you take off, Jeffrey Epstein and the files that were released, any yeah. thoughts to that? Did you uh, look into that? Yeah, I, I, you know,
3: I think, I think there's a lot of people who are listed on there who really weren't up to no good. You know, I just, I just don't see Oprah Winfrey doing anything really, you know, but the people who went 15, 20 times, they're the ones we really need to have the microscope put on. And, but look, you know, that guy, that guy's gone for a reason. And that's so a lot of people aren't held to account. And I just don't, I don't have a whole lot of confidence that anything's going to happen on that.
0: Do you actually think he's dead? Are you convinced? Yeah, he's dead. Do you think he killed himself? No, no, he didn't kill himself. Who, but, if you, if you had to give a guess, who do you think did it?
3: Oh wow, uh, I think he was probably off on on the uh, efforts of an amorphous group of powerful people throughout the world. I don't think it would be one person. I think it was like a cabal. <laughs> that guy had he had a lot of people by the short hairs, and they solved that
0: problem. No, absolutely. And uh, Daniel, I got to ask you this, too, before you go real quick. Thoughts on the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. And there's all these new reports out that they're trying to really um, do horrible yeah. things. Yeah. Um, well, I I don't have an inside
3: track on a lot of what they're doing, but I do know that a, a significant aim of the World Economic Forum and its partners is to reduce... The human population of the planet earth yeah and uh the only the only question is what means will they go to to do that i can't answer that except i think it's something we all leaders throughout the world need to pay a lot of attention to and they need to be very careful with because there's a lot of things happening that defy explanation so um, and they and it happens to correspond perfectly with what the world economic forum wants to do
0: absolutely Absolutely. Uh, Daniel, I know you got to run, man. Have a fantastic weekend. I love having you with us and we'll talk very soon. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, man. We'll be right back, everybody. And we are back. Rory Sauter and the news coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. I want to thank you all for tuning in today. It's been a fantastic show. We will see you all very soon. A lot of plans for 2024 on the program and on the two networks. Um, Guys, until next time. I'm Rory Sauter. Have a fantastic weekend. God bless all of you. Much love. Cheers.